This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in just a moment. But first, breaking news. New details about the driver of a car to go involved in a fatal crash that killed a young taxi driver. Tonight we can tell you who was behind the wheel as he raced through city streets. Our John Wah is standing by with those details. John. That's right. Global News was able to confirm through multiple sources that the driver behind the wheel of the car to go involved in that deadly crash at this intersection is Gary Hollihan from Ireland. Now the man in his 20s remains in hospital in critical condition. We also know that his family from Ireland has traveled to Vancouver to be by his bedside. Now all of this after the December 29th collision that claimed the life of 28-year-old taxi driver Senapal Singh Randawa and also injured two of his passengers. Exclusive video obtained by Global News showed the car to go catching the attention of a Vancouver police cruiser as it sped down a busy stretch of East Hastings early on that Sunday morning. The car then turned south onto Renfrew Street before colliding with Rendawa's yellow cab in the First Avenue intersection. Now police suspect on top of driving at speeds in excess of 120 kilometers per hour, they also believe that Hullahan may have been intoxicated behind the wheel. Although there have been no further updates provided from this investigation. Chris? John Wall reporting in Vancouver tonight. Now more breaking news for you. Iran has launched more than a dozen missiles at two Iraqi bases that hold U.S. troops. Global's Jackson Prosco is live in Washington, D.C. tonight with more on this developing story. And Jackson, it does appear now that Iran has made good on its promise of retaliation for the U.S. assassination a few days ago of its top military general. That's right, Sophie. This seems to be exactly what Iran had been threatening to do for days, which is a direct attack on U.S. interests in the Middle East, carried out directly by Iranian forces and not its proxies. And this is the type of thing that the U.S. was very much prepared for. They'd been warning their own forces in the region about this for several days, even as they bolstered their ranks. Uh, damage assessments are still coming in. We've heard from the Pentagon that this all began just over three hours ago, with more than a dozen ballistic missiles being fired directly from in Iran. Iranian state TV reports a second wave of attacks has also been carried out. We're now talking two, perhaps three bases that have been hit here. Uh, the U.S. says it is still carrying out a damage assessment at this hour. President Donald Trump has been monitoring this from the White House Situation Room. And Sophie, the question now is how does the U.S. respond if they respond at all? What do we know at this point, Jackson, about injuries uh, and very specifically Canadian injuries potentially because there are Canadian forces in Iraq. What do we know about their status? 
That's right. And we also heard, of course, from Canada's chief of defense staff uh, today that they would be relocating those Canadian forces to Kuwait as a precautionary measure. Approximately 500 Canadian forces in the region. We're not hearing any reports of Canadian involvement or injuries at this point, nor are we hearing of U.S. soldiers being injured. There are a number of casualties reported at at least one of the bases. It's not clear if those are deaths or injuries. Some early reports suggest it may only be Iraqi forces who have been injured or killed. That is all the type of thing that needs to be clarified at this point, and those are the types of things that the White House will be taking into account uh, to determine whether or not this was a proportional response to that targeted killing of an Iranian general, and whether or not this merits a response on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And and you did mention that earlier. Uh, U.S. President Donald Trump, of course, had warned that if Iran retaliated, there would be consequences from the U.S. So what are we hearing from the White House tonight? In fact, a very stern warning issued by the president earlier today from the Oval Office who suggested that any Iranian response would warrant U.S. retaliation. The question is, does he live up to his word on those comments? Uh, he had also seemed to walk things back earlier today. So really a very tense waiting game unfolding tonight. And we are definitely watching the situation as it continues to unfold. Jackson Prosco, thanks for joining us. Jackson Prosco in Washington, D.C. Back here at home now, and a West Vancouver millionaire who shot and killed his business partner and then dismembered the body has been found guilty of a lesser charge of manslaughter. The judge finding Liz or Lee Zhao not guilty of the original charge of second-degree murder. Aaron MacArthur explains why the decision comes as a surprise even to the defense, and a warning some of the details in this case may be disturbing to some viewers. When West Vancouver police arrived at the mansion in the British properties, they found Gang Yuan's body, neatly chopped up into 108 pieces, some in garbage bags, others in the freezer. The end result of a fight between the victim and the only suspect, Li Zhao. This series of events that went from discussion to argument to altercation to death in a hurry. The fight is said to have started over inappropriate comments made by Yuan about Zhao's daughter, who briefly was internet famous after starring in a show about ultra-wealthy Asian women. At his trial, Zhao accused Yuan of being a womanizer. At the funeral, five of Yuan's kids by five different women were making claims against the estate. It's the exact opposite of how Zhao has been described. He's got a history of nonviolence, contribution to his community, both in China, Uh, Together with his family, both in China, in other parts of Canada and here, he's been a law-abiding, decent human being all of his life until that day. In his reasons for judgment, Justice Schultz said Li Zhao's testimony was almost entirely unbelievable. Yet the evidence he did accept into the record indicated there was no intent to kill Gan Yuan, and therefore enough reasonable doubt to not convict on second-degree murder. The Crown said all this evidence amounts to murder. We said no, all this evidence amounts to manslaughter. We all filed lengthy arguments. There were lots of reasons advanced and cases referred to as you heard. And ultimately the judge made the decision he did. Date will be set to sentence Zhao later this month. But after serving almost four years in pretrial, he may not spend that much more time in jail at all. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
BC's highest court has ruled that seven Vancouver police officers were obligated to cooperate with an investigation into a fatal shooting in 2016. The dispute stems from the shooting of a man outside a Canadian tire store and the officer's refusal to cooperate with BC's police watchdog, even though they were eventually exonerated. Nadia Stewart has more on the decision and what it means. It was a dramatic and violent incident at a Canadian tire store that ended when police shot and killed a man who attacked employees. I need everybody back. Okay? The IIO stepped in to investigate and eventually ruled officers were justified in their use of force. But during the IIO investigation, seven officers refused to cooperate, asking instead for audio and video recordings and dispatch records to be released prior to being interviewed. We couldn't resolve that difference, so as a result, um, we brought a court application in the British Columbia Supreme Court. The court ruled in favor of the IIO, but the decision was appealed, bringing us to Monday's ruling when the original decision was upheld, with the appeal court justices agreeing the witness officers failed to comply with their duty to cooperate by demanding certain conditions as a precondition to their cooperation. They basically have told us that the legislature intended um, that the IIO gets to determine how they do their investigations. And in fact, the Court of Appeal has said that the legislature intended for us to determine what the duty to cooperate means. In an email, the Canadian Police Association says it is disappointed with the decision, but for now it has no plans to appeal the ruling any further. The statement goes on to say the issues raised in this case have since been concluded. CPA President Tony Stamatakis says similar issues have not arisen since. To be fair um, to the police associations, the words duty to cooperate um, are capable of different interpretations. So sometimes in those circumstances you need help from the courts to help define what that means. The clarity should help both sides understand and abide by the rules and help avoid delays in future investigations. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Two men and two women who attempted to flee police in Victoria this morning were quickly arrested. The foursome were in a vehicle that crashed into a parked car on Quadra Street, just a short distance from the police department. Earlier, officers had attempted to stop the vehicle, but the driver took off, resulting in a Vic PD officer receiving non-life-threatening injuries. I saw one guy get out of the vehicle and attempt to flee on foot. Three officers chased after him, um, and the other three remaining in the vehicle were kind of pulled out of the vehicle, thrown on the ground, guns were drawn. If you're going to run from the police, stay away from the police station. The occupants of the vehicle were taken into custody, with one being transported to hospital. All right, Christy is on standby with details of more rain and snow for the south coast, making for slick driving conditions, even dicey in some areas. We'll get to her in a moment, but right now... Catherine Urquhart is live with the details on an advisory for the Coquihalla. Catherine, it'll be shut down for a period of time tomorrow. That's right, Chris. The Coquihalla will be closed tomorrow between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. And that's because so much snow has fallen in the region in the last couple of weeks. They need to do avalanche control work something that hasn't happened in the area and resulted in a closure since 2017. For more details on what they'll be doing, here's Paula Cousins with the Ministry of Transportation. 
So the Coquihalla Highway since December 19th has seen over 250 centimeters of snow and we've got more snow forecasted for later this week on Friday. Out of an abundance of caution, our senior avalanche technician has made the decision to do a proactive short closure tomorrow while we have a weather window just to bring down some of those key paths to ensure it doesn't impact our operations through the upcoming storms. Now, the ministry says that it is confident that the Coquihalla will reopen at 3 o'clock, but you just never know. It all depends on the weather and how that control work goes, so you'll definitely want to check with Drive BC before hitting the road. Chris, back to no, you. No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Catherine. And Christy pointed out, Cooney Pass has also been closed for the past several hours. Mm -hmm. We'll bring her in now with more on what you need to know about the snow that's in the forecast, including in Metro Vancouver, Christy. Well, Chris, so Kootenai Pass, Rogers Pass, and Coquihalla could see another 10 centimeters of snow overnight through the day tomorrow as well. So 10 to 20 centimeters possible. A little bit of a lull in the action for that region on Thursday, but then another wave of snow is set to hit the interior on Friday. Now, for the south coast, temperatures are going to drop tonight back to near seasonal values, and that brings in a chance of snow to our region over the next couple of days. Now, the first chance of that would be overnight tomorrow night, early Thursday morning. And a system just clips our area, so maybe a a few flurries. It's really just a slight chance. More so, we're giving everyone a heads up about Thursday night, Friday morning. That's when we could see a little bit of wet snow across the Metro Vancouver region. Now, there's uncertainty here, so I really urge people to keep tuning back in. It's just a heads up at this point. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And one last note on the snow and activities that go along with it for the moment. Police have some questions for the driver of this vehicle with a snowmobile stacked on its roof. Spotted driving in the Kamloops and Grand Forks area, obviously that raises a number of safety concerns. The white car is believed to be licensed in Alberta. Police are urging others not to transport this way, snowmobiles this way, and they are asking anyone who can identify the car to please call it in. Tensions are rising once again over a pipeline project in northern B.C. Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs are defying a B.C. Supreme Court decision and demanding the province suspend all permits for the coastal gas link pipeline until title issues are addressed. Our Sarah McDonald is in Smithers tonight with what happens next. Exactly one year since more than a dozen people were arrested for blocking pipeline work on Wet'suwet'en and First Nation territory, the nation's hereditary chiefs are once again back in the spotlight and standing their ground as an injunction order and potential RCMP action looms. The hereditary chiefs of Wet'suwet'en, the land at the heart of an ongoing natural gas pipeline dispute, are standing firm in their eviction notice issued to energy giant Coastal GasLink. This after the B.C. Safe Supreme Court extended an injunction plan. last week, ruling in favour of the company. A judge siding with the energy giant behind the $6.6 billion pipeline project spanning more than 600 kilometres of land across the province. A large swath of it belongs to the Wet'suwet'en people, whose elected chiefs are in favour of the pipeline, its hereditary chiefs are not, refusing a face-to-face -face meeting with Coastal GasLink and requesting instead to speak with provincial and federal government officials as a deadline looms to remove all obstacles on Wet'suwet'en land, preventing pipeline construction. Those opposed to it say they won't be backing down, even if RCMP enforce that injunction order once again. We are on the right side of history. We're on the right side of the environment. We are on the right side of climate change. And in our hearts, we know we're right. We're not going anywhere. We need people to stand up and say 
that this country should be run by the people, not by an industry. RCMP not commenting on when or if they plan to enforce that injunction order, other than to say they are monitoring the situation closely and on site, with pipeline work expected to resume this week. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Smithers, B.C. Right now, though, a horrifying accident in downtown Vancouver is prompting the SPCA to open up an investigation. A dog fell to its death from a high-rise in Yaletown over the weekend. Grace Key explains what's believed to have happened. And while rare, there is a warning to all pet owners. A tragic accident involving a dog falling to its death is now under investigation by the SPCA. On Sunday, a Collie Australian Shepherd Cross fell from the 21st floor balcony. Because there's no evidence that the animal was intentionally uh, thrown off a patio, you'd eliminate the criminal code element, but there could potentially still be uh, charges um, potential under the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. It's unclear how the dog got out onto the balcony, and according to neighbours, the owner wasn't home at the time. I think it was a horrible accident. I know the man. I know the dog. I see them every day, all the time. I can tell you which dog owner is attentive and which dog owner is not attentive, and he's an attentive dog owner. You know, he's great with them. I love them. I love both of them. So the whole thing is beyond heartbreaking. News of the tragedy spread quickly in Yaletown with many dog owners weighing in on what happened. I feel bad for them. I mean, I can't even imagine losing a dog like that, but at the same time, at the end, they are responsible. Dogs shouldn't be on a patio alone to begin with. And... Uh, that, that probably an accident. With more and more condos being built, the SBCA says dog owners need to be vigilant at keeping their pets safe. Just like you would do your due diligence with a toddler or a child when looking at a balcony, you should look at your balcony with that critical eye. Could he slip under uh, a railing in a patio? Is there a potential that that dog could ever jump over um, a railing? The SPCA says dogs being left on balconies is a common complaint, but one falling to its death is rare. Grace Key, Global News. Well, BC consumers are most concerned about borrowing money and managing debt. That's according to the Better Business Bureau. The BBB has released its list of top complaints for 2019, and our Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with the details. Anne? Uh-huh, they received thousands of complaints. Not great news. <laughs> no, there's a lot of shady companies Unfortunately, out there, yeah. thanks for that, Chris. The Better Business Bureau logged almost 4,100 complaints last year. One industry, which is often on the receiving end of Consumer complaints made a comeback while concerns about businesses that handle personal finances topped the list. Credit repair services took the number one spot with almost 600 complaints. Parking facilities a close second with nearly 500 complaints. The airline industry jumped into third place with almost 200 complaints after failing to make the top 10 in 2018 or 2017. In fact, 2019 was not a good year for aviation for many reasons, including airlines shutting down and travel cancellations. In terms of consumer inquiries, loans came out on top, followed by plumbers and roofing contractors. The Better Business Bureau says it's interesting loans beat out home improvement or auto repair services. And while it's a good sign consumers are asking about trustworthy lending businesses, it's also concerning. While the numbers said that over 60,000 did check BBB to find someone they could trust, there's so many other consumers out there in our province. And so it makes you wonder, how are they going about finding the lenders that are trustworthy, right? So that's one situation. And then the other thing is, 
if this is the trend where more persons are borrowing going forward, it means that scammers are going to pick up on this trend also. It could mean that vulnerable consumers, especially those who are desperate and really need some extra cash, might end up falling into scams like the advanced fee loan, where you're paying upfront for a loan when you shouldn't because that's not a part of how Canada operates. What should you do? Well, consumers should avoid fly-by-night lenders or anyone promising loans without any kind of credit check or minimal effort. You can find the full list of the top 10 Better Business Bureau complaints and inquiries for 2019 on our website. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters.globalnews.ca. Awesome. Thanks very much, Ann. We have more breaking developments now on that missile attack on two military bases in Iraq that hold U.S. troops. Iran, of course, claiming responsibility earlier. Global's Jackson Prosco joins us once again from Washington, D.C. And Jackson, are we hearing any more about casualties on the ground in Iraq? Chris, the Pentagon says it's still carrying out its assessment at this hour. From this early vantage point, it does not appear that any U.S. troops were injured. There may have been some Iraqi casualties on the base. We should also point out that Global News has learned that Canadian forces were stationed at the base in Erbil in northern Iraq, which came under attack today. Uh, We are told that no Canadian soldiers were injured in the attack on the base in Erbil either. But it's all being watched very carefully at this hour. And again, these are early hours of the assessment. More information about whether this situation can be de-escalated or not. I see some chatter on Twitter saying that if the U.S. retaliates for this uh, attempt at retaliation, that this could be full-out war. I think the big question is, does the U.S. respond to this and does this warrant a U.S. response? And again, a lot of that's going to depend on whether there were casualties, just how bad the damage is. A picture we're not going to know for quite some time. Once the U.S. knows that, then they make the determination whether or not to strike Iran. But President Trump all day long has been threatening to do that regardless of any Iranian response. Mm, It's going to be tense few hours here. Thanks very much, Jackson. We'll check in later with any new developments. Well, the fires continue to burn out of control and weather conditions are getting no better in Australia. No, and meantime, the people who've returned after the flames roared through are faced with a very uncertain future. Hundreds of Australians are starting to sift through the rubble of their still smoldering homes, returning to smog-filled towns. I couldn't see, the smoke was so thick. And empty stores. They evacuated the tourists, Um, that was our income, which is all our cream and our profit. Thousands have been left homeless. Many in rural areas have spent days without electricity and drinking water. Now, record high temperatures and severe drought are making it tough to battle the unprecedented bushfires. One of the biggest challenges for fire officials right now is this giant plume of smoke that's hampering air operations near the Port of Eden in New South Wales. As the fire roared through this logging community, it started 75,000 tons worth of wood chips on fire. It could now take weeks to put out. But Australian firefighters won't be battling the flames alone. On Monday, a crew of 20 veteran firefighters from California who fought some of the state's most devastating wildfires suited up and shipped out to Melbourne. Those California firefighters are expected to help out here in southeastern Australia for at least the next month. And there is concern going into the weekend with more intense fire weather predicted. Jamie Yuka, CBS News, Kaya, Australia. Doing a little koala rescue. 
She's a mother with a baby. Found them cuddling. Just trying to collect as many live ones as we can. Another example of ordinary people taking extraordinary measures in Australia to rescue animals in distress. A family that lives on an island where an estimated 25,000 koalas have died spent a half hour finding injured koalas and then took them to neighbours who care for injured wildlife. Sadly, one of the koalas died on the way there. In health matters tonight, a new facility in Burnaby is opening to improve treatment for patients with mental health and addictions, and it could be a model for other BC hospitals. The new mental health and substance use zone at the Burnaby Hospital ER has a calm therapeutic space for patients who need specialized care. Among other amenities, the zone offers a separate entrance, a seclusion room, and confidential assessment rooms. From patient experience point of view, it's going to be a day and night from before. Now everyone gets to be interviewed in an individual room, and there's a lot more uh, conducive to peace and quiet here, as well as uh, we have a more safer working place for the staff as well, like including patient rooms or even seclusion room, which rarely has to be used for, for very disturbed or agitated situations. If you think of all the hospital projects we're doing in BC, 14 of them, all those hospitals that were built in the 50s and 60s served us well, but they're not well set up to deal with mental health and addiction issues. And so what we've done is set up a model here in Burnaby where, we'll, where people who present with uh, significant mental health issues will have a place that they're treated that's better for the clinicians, but mostly better for the patient. Burnaby Hospital has one of the busiest emergency departments in the province, seeing about 85,000 patients a year. A UBC Okanagan researcher says a ketone supplement drink could help control blood sugar. In a study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, Jonathan Little says ketone monoester drinks, which have only been on the market for a few years, may control glucose by mimicking some aspects of a ketogenic diet. Little is quick to point out that ketone supplements are not a magic bullet in managing diabetes, and more study is needed, but the early research is promising. I don't think ketone supplements are, are uh, ready for the mainstream as a diabetes treatment, but I, I, my takeaway is they're very intriguing, and, and I think we should watch this space. Uh, we need to conduct more research um, to see whether this might be an adjunct to, to a healthy diet or a lifestyle or medications uh, in the context of diseases like diabetes and perhaps uh, Alzheimer's disease and dementia too. Long before the popular TV show Grey's Anatomy, that title, with a slightly different spelling, has belonged to a medical Bible of sorts. For more than 150 years, it's been the go-to for human anatomy. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, it's getting a reboot now thanks to a local surgeon. Every section is broken down into tips and anatomical hazards with uh, input from the experts. Medical textbooks are an important tool in the training of surgeons, and none has the cachet or longevity of this one, Gray's Anatomy. The original Gray's Anatomy is a text that uh, came out in 1858, and it was authored by uh, Henry Gray. With the help of illustrator Henry Van Dyke Carter, they created one of the most famous books ever written. Over 160 years later, the 42nd edition is in the works. It was intended for surgeons, and so it evolved into a book which was 
encyclopedic on the human body and is a still the go-to resource. But there's another Grey's Anatomy, a brand new one. Let me um, show you a little bit about it. The creation, in part, of Vancouver surgeon Sam Weissman. I had the idea that there really was no go-to reference for the entire human body for surgeons and surgical trainees. Gray's surgical anatomy has been three years in the making. Some of them are illustrations to help emphasize anatomical learning, and then others include uh, uh, photographs. If they're going to the operating room, they could look at this and be able to gain some knowledge that would help prepare them for what they were going to encounter. It's quite the coup being accepted into the prestigious Gray's Anatomy family, an honour that comes with the promise of longevity. I think people think about it positively, and uh, hopefully it'll be in its 42nd edition in 160 years. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. And in other health news tonight, a new study has not been able to definitively link the use of talcum powder with an increased risk of ovarian cancer. Researchers from the National Institutes of Health analyzed studies with more than 250,000 women. And while nearly 40% of the women who developed ovarian cancer reported using baby powder for feminine hygiene at some time in their life, the scientists say there was no statistically significant association between baby powder and ovarian cancer. But experts say the study can't completely rule out the powder as a cause. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Pause. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. These guys are pretty good. After the forecast, the story behind the Okanagan father-son duet its getting a ton of views online. Recorded in the garage, apparently. Part of it, at least. It's like you and Will when you're singing in the car, right? <laughs> they sound just a little bit better. <laughs> All right. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us once again. Look at that map, that green. Mm. Yes. The Yikes. The rain continues across the south coast region. It will ease off overnight, everyone. Just a chance of showers overnight. And that's when temperatures are going to cool. Look how mild it was today. 9, 10 degrees. That's well above seasonal. Tomorrow, though, we're going to drop down to near seasonal values. Highs of sort of 4 to 6 degrees and then lows closer to the freezing mark. But over these next four days, that's why we're just giving you a heads up for the potential for snow. You'll note that it's not quite cold enough for really bringing that snow to Metro Vancouver. But there is a chance. There certainly is. And more so what we will be watching is into next week. That's when temperatures really plummet as more Arctic air is ushered in. So uh, temperatures are really going to get cold or conditions are going to get cold next week. In the meantime, we have snowfall for mountain passes still overnight tonight. The rain will ease off across the south coast. This is tomorrow morning. Much lighter conditions across the south coast. Still a few flurries inland. And we will see a small wave move onto Vancouver Island tomorrow afternoon. Rainfall for you there, but there is a 
chance you could see some wet snow, likely just rainfall there. But that brings that pulse to Metro Vancouver early Thursday morning. But it's really just clipping our area. So maybe a few flurries early Thursday morning for, for Fraser Valley or southern Metro Vancouver. But that would be about it. That's a heads up. And of course, uh, Friday, we're also tracking another one. Inland, snowfall warnings continue. These amounts that you see here are the total. So including what you've seen so far right through to more morning. Wet on the Coquihalla, but it will change to snow overnight and completely wet in Kootenai Pass. It is closed and it's expected to remain closed until 6 p.m. tomorrow. So there's your forecast for tomorrow. Most of these areas just looking at flurries tomorrow morning, easing off tomorrow afternoon. So a much lighter day tomorrow for all areas, including the south coast, except Vancouver Island could see a few showers. Again, tomorrow night and again Thursday night, those are the two time periods that we'll be tracking. Stay tuned. All right. Thanks, Christy. When you are the son of two professional Juilliard-trained opera singers, there's a pretty good chance you'll be able to carry a tune. Okanagan musician Justin T. Sorry, Justin J. Moore. You might want to remember that name, too. Teamed up with his father for a duet Ed Sheeran and Andrea Bocelli made famous. And their version is getting a lot of online attention. Justin posted a video of him singing the Ed Sheeran parts and his father singing Andrea Bocelli's lyrics in Perfect Symphony. Moore recorded in his Kelowna apartment and edited it together with his father's performance recorded back in the family garage. And my dad and I have been singing together for just years, like all sorts of beautiful um, Christmas songs together and different easy opera songs together. Um, it's a long history of singing together. It's kind of just what we do. Wow. Could nice. you imagine if you have two Juilliard trained opera singing parents, though, and you... You better, you better be a good singer. Yeah, and he is. <laughs> I watched some of his other videos, Justin Jay's other videos on YouTube. Amazing voice. Got some talent. Neat. Mm. My father and I used to sing together. Did oh, you? Did. Yes. Like that? And the neighbors asked us to move. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that my kids. No, mom. No, mom. No, no yeah, oh, no. I get that too. <laughs> there is a point in your life when you begin to at least even hum out of tune. <laughs> okay, so speaking of out of tune, I could show you some Canuck highlights right now, but it would be kind of like reaching back in your workplace refrigerator and opening up that Tupperware that's oh. been sitting there for like three months and looking inside. That's what this Canucks game looks like to Canuck fan. But after the break, we will show some of it anyway. Sounds like it might stink. <laughs> All right, also ahead, why A-list director James Cameron was at the Consumer Electronics Show later. All right, is there a spoiler alert that we should <laughs> yeah. warn people about here? Uh, just everything got spoiled, that's all. That's, that a, <laughs> that's, that's the spoiler that's alert. That's a spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. All right. So tonight's game, well, before tonight's game, everybody was very excited because the Canucks and Tampa were both on seven-game win streaks. And this is just the second time in NHL history two teams have played each other while on seven-game win streaks. Now, the Canucks win streak featured six of those seven wins on home ice. This game tonight was in Tampa Bay. And when you're playing the Lightning and they're playing well, you need everyone on your team going, especially your goaltender. And tonight, Jacob Markstrom had a rare off night. And if he isn't playing well, the Canucks' chances of winning go way down. But early on, JT Miller making 
his return to Tampa Bay. Markstrom looked good, really good actually, making this save early in the first period. Off Carter Verhage, who would eventually score three goals. And then Alex Kalorn is alone in front, and Markstrom makes the save. And the Canucks scored the first goal of the game. As Elias Pedersen is allowed in alone, and he beats Vasilevsky, and that made it 1-0 after one period. And then in the second period, everything collapsed. This is what starts it. Kind of an odd goal, bounces off the post, bounces off Markstrom, goes in, it's Tyler Johnson. Yep. And then on a power play, Steven Stamkos right off the face-off. Face-off, Stamkos, red light. 2-1. But the Canucks tied it. And you know what you really hate doing is wasting a rare Louis Erickson goal. Because that's a rare Louis Erickson goal. And considering he gets paid $6 million a year, that goal is probably worth about $2 million. So it's 2-2. And then this happens, and this is when you start to see it's probably not Markstrom's night. I know that was a breakaway, but it wasn't a great move and it wasn't a hard shot, but it's a goal for Alex Killarn. So it's 3-2, now it's 4-2, now it's 5-2. Nikita Kucherov, as a game, Markstrom reaching back, puts it in his own net, although it was almost in as it was. Then, another goal. So six goals in the second period, the last four, in two minutes and 55 seconds. Finally, Markstrom has mercy shown upon him by the coaching staff. Thatcher Demko goes in. Third period. Braden Point, rebound to Braden Point, 7-2. I mentioned Carter Verhage had three goals. This is the second of the three. Canucks just kind of throwing it around aimlessly at this point. Yes, they're on side. Yes, for Hagee's wide open. 8-2. He'd get another. That is real. 9-2. The Canucks' seven-game win streak blows up real good. Well, in the uh, last year and a bit, the Vancouver Whitecaps have completely overhauled their front office. It started last year when they brought in head coach Mark DeSantos, and it has continued this offseason. Now, of course, the thing fans notice is when they bring in players, and they did bring in Lucas Cavallini as their new striker. But good organizations are good from the top down. And today, Vancouver brought in a new CEO in Mark Panis, who has a long history in professional sports. Too many empty seats and too many losses have forced Whitecap owners to make some changes this offseason. The first was hiring Axel Schuster as the sporting director to run on-field operations. And now, bringing in Mark Panis as the new CEO. Moves that aren't just changing bodies, but hopefully changing the culture. We, we don't. We don't like. We like to win. Uh, losing isn't as much fun either on or off the pitch. So this is a clear statement uh, that we're bringing in senior, experienced people who are committed to multi years to build this club and get it back into winning ways. The facilities are great. I mean, the training for center center out at uh, UBC is is, uh, is you know world class. The building is big and muscular and going to give us an opportunity to draw a lot of fans. Um, and the front office is stable. We have committed ownership. Like, that's all a great recipe for success. And Mark Panez has the resume that gives the Whitecaps ownership 
Hope. He's been CEO of AS Roma. He's worked at the New York Knicks in, in New York for 10 years. He's a lawyer. He's a financier. He raised $1.5 billion on a sports-directed fund. So he has all the tools and experience to be able to look at any aspect of our business and contribute. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Square. You're welcome. Here's your snow report for tonight. A few incredible numbers. Whistler Blackcomb picked up 46 centimeters over the last 24 hours. Grouse and Cypress were a little too warm, but Sasquatch had three. Manny Park, an incredible 62 centimeters in the last 24 hours. Revelstoke, 24. Fernie, 20. And Kicking Horse, 1. Big White, 17. Silver Star, 9. Sun Peaks, 10. Apex, a respectful 29. Mount Washington, 5. Whitewater, 15. Red Mountain, 18. And Powder King, nothing new, but they should get some on Friday. Coming up on ET Canada, the BAFTAs announced their nominations, and yes, there is controversy. Plus, we have TV previews of FBI Most Wanted and Fortunate Son. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Well, given the increasing importance of computers and technology in our cars, it's not surprising that the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas is heavy on transportation. And a number of automakers and others are hitting the showroom floor with what they hope are the vehicles of the future. This Mercedes looks like something out of science fiction, and right now it is. The Vision AVTR is a concept vehicle that could drive autonomously or be operated with a single controller. It would be powered by organic batteries with menu options projected on the driver's hand. The design is inspired by the movie Avatar, and the film's director, James Cameron, helped with the unveil at CES. I look at this vehicle here, you know, I see the future. Honda has its own idea of what the future holds. The concept car can drive itself or be controlled entirely by the steering wheel. There are no pedals. And you can push on it a little bit and it'll speed up. I got to take a spin in a simulation with Honda's Marcos Frommer. The steering wheel responds to touch and a tired driver can transfer it over, letting the passenger take the wheel. Some people may want to watch a movie, some people may want to work, some people may want to experience the pleasure of driving. Of still driving. Yeah. BMW is rethinking the interior of tomorrow, this one with passengers in mind. There's a comfy chair, an adjustable footrest, a small table, and even cup holders to heat or cool your beverage. Hyundai is taking off in a new direction. The automaker is teaming up with Uber to create flying taxis. The electric SA1 model would lift off vertically in busy cities and reach 180 miles per hour. Roadshow's Tim Stevens says the new convenience could be a reality in five to ten years. car will pick you up and take you over the traffic to get where you need to go quickly and quietly and efficiently as well. Bridgestone has an idea that won't fall flat. It's one of several companies designing tires without air. The flexible, puncture-proof wheels made from recycled rubber are already on some bicycles. Experts believe we could see them on cars in a few years. I'm CNET's Kara Suboy for CBS News, Las Vegas. If you live in a high-rise, mm-hmm. do you really want dudes able to fly by your window? No. <laughs> huh. We're a long Seriously. way from I that. I don't even but want birds never flying mind. by my window. I know. seagulls peer in and like... Never mind the, the crashes that I can imagine I know. would happen. Hey, man, so you just ran into my barbecue. The roads as well, I realize, but it seems even more dangerous That's up there. Me too.
trust the, the flying bus or the regular ride bus? Ride your bike. Ride my bike. Okay. okay, weather is getting dicey in a lot of areas. Last word. Yeah, so tonight temperatures are going to drop over the next couple of days, bringing in a chance of snow. So certainly keep tuning back in. We'll be right here. We'll give you all the details. All right, thanks very much. And thank you to the Poco family in here uh, supporting amateur sports.